Wait a minute. Oh my God, look at you. You look fantastic. Oh, what a transformation. Ding dong, who's at the door? It's Yves Saint Laurent, AKA you, the listener. My goodness, look at you. Is that a slanket? Are those Crocs on your feet? Are those snap bracelets around your wrists, I see? Welcome to the 13th episode in our Broadway and Chicago review series. This time around, we're talking about the devil. Where's Prada? I'm very excited to be talking about the devil. Where's Prada? And so for the purposes of talking about the devil, where's Prada? I want to... (laughs) Rule of three, okay? I have an opening here before we get into the devil. Where's Prada? I want to talk about my husband, Chris, who pointed out to me recently that the tagline for our subject, the devil wears Prada, that tagline being... As a reminder, not for the fashion week. That's week as in W-E-A-K. Chris pointed out that this might be a riff on the phrase fashion week. Fashion W-E-E-K. And I can see where he's coming from. I can absolutely see that being the solution to the mystery. But even if it is, Chris and I agree that it is an obviously terrible riff on the phrase fashion week. It still doesn't really make sense. But at the very least, there is some connective tissue we we have built some sort of bridge and that's always nice to have something to hang your hat on. Oh my God. I also got an email recently. I'm sure many of the Chicago residents who are deeply steeped in the Broadway and Chicago atmosphere, they would have gotten this email as well. It was an announcement regarding the 2022-2023 Broadway and Chicago season. And I was wondering if we would even get that before this run of episodes came to an end. So I'm glad that I'm able to relay this information to you here if you're not familiar with it. So that season, I don't know what order we're going in. I'm just sort of throwing these shows here at you. It's MJ 1776, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, Jagged Little Pill, and A Soldier's Play. Chris and I will absolutely, absolutely be buying tickets for Tina, the Tina Turner musical. We are both big fans of Tina Turner, okay? And we want to see a dramatized version of Tina singing all the hits. So we are going to make sure that that happens. We're going to get good seats. I'm not going to be up in the balcony with my husband. No, 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 no. We are are married. We are going to be front row center, or as close as we can get to front row center. But the rest of this lineup is a wash. It's in the wash, I have to say. And I will not, I'm going to say this right now, I'm making a declaration, a proclamation, I will not be renewing my subscription, which means that our next episode in this series, which is going to be about Jesus Christ Superstar, that is going to be the finale for our Broadway in Chicago coverage. I'm sorry if you if you have enjoyed this. I'm, I'm very happy that you have. If you've hated it, <laughs> well, isn't that special for you? <laughs> Toiling away, chipping away at this coverage, listening to it even though you hate it. I'm sure... Why would I say that? I'm sure you enjoyed it. You did. You did. But I can't continue because, frankly, I think I've said this before, but I really do miss my weekends. I go downtown. I go to downtown Chicago every single day, Monday through Friday, for my job. And uh, the idea of going back downtown via the exact same train route on a Saturday to see these shows. Look, I have fun when I'm there. Don't get me wrong. Despite all of the audience issues that I've had, I have a lot of fun when I am there in the theater 
but the commute, the time commitment, and the tight turnaround when it comes to these episodes. I see these shows on a Saturday at 2, I record on a Sunday, and then I edit on that same Sunday so I can turn everything around. It's it's very tight, and it can be very stressful. So I'm going to be, I'm just going to be kicking back on Saturday mornings from here on out, and I'm looking forward to that. But uh, to go back to that lineup, uh, just as a reminder, MJ, 1776 Tina, Jagged Little Pill, and a Soldier's Play. We have one straight play, which is typical for the Broadway and Chicago season. You get one straight play and then a bunch of musicals. So that that's not really surprising. What surprises me is that we don't have any Chicago premieres. I guess that's just not in the cards. There's nothing in development. On deck, I, that's a, a huge disappointment. And as someone pointed out to me recently, the fact that we have three jukebox shows is really, that that's a little much. That's excessive. And I know that reflects the current Broadway season in New York City. I know that that is a, and it's an accurate reflection. I, I don't blame them for picking these shows, but I feel like we could have done a better job of mixing it up, and that is what I have to say. It is now time. <laughs> That's all I have to say. And I'm going to talk about The Devil Wears Prada. The Devil Wears Prada right now, okay? Yes, let's do it. I saw The Devil Wears Prada at the James M. Niederlander Theater on Saturday, July 23rd at 2 p.m., just to put you in a little time frame. Show facts for this production. It is based on the 2003 Lauren Weisberger novel of the same name and the 2006 20th Century Fox film of the same name. I'm sure many of you have seen that film. It is a it is a delightful film. It's very fun. The book of this production was written by Kate Weatherhead. The music is by Sir Elton John himself. Hello, peace and love, peace and love. It's me, Elton John. I won't be signing any more autographs. Lyrics by Shana Taub, and I do apologize in advance if I am mispronouncing any of these names. Director Anna D. Shapiro. Orchestrations, Giles Martin. Music director and additional orchestrations, James Olmsted. Choreographer, James Alsop. Scenic design, Christine Jones and Brett Banakis. Costume design, Ariane Phillips. Lighting design, Paul Constable. And sound design, Nevin Steinberg. Here's a quick breakdown of our main cast. We have Christiana Cole in the role of Lauren Hunter. Megan Masako Haley in the role of Emily Charlton. Beth Lovell in the role of Miranda Priestley. You may know Beth Lovell from our coverage of The Drowsy Chaperone. Beth is a Tony, Drama Desk, and Outer Critics Circle Award winner for her performance in The Drowsy Chaperone. We also have Taylor Amon Jones in the role of Andy Sachs, Tiffany Mann in the role of Kayla Ward, Javier Munez as Nigel Owens, Michael Tacconi as Nate Angstrom, and Christian Thompson as Christian Thompson. That is not an error on my part. I made sure to double check that. The actor's name is Christian Thompson, and his character name is Christian Thompson. I don't know what we're doing there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That I don't know if that's just... Is that the name of the character who works in the publishing industry that flirts with Andy? Is that is that what's going on? Is his name Christian Thompson in the film? If so, they landed on an actor who has the exact same name. <laughs> And that's very strange to me. Program observations. You know I have them, darling, and so I will serve them up to you so that you can chomp on them. Nom, nom, nom. See, I've grown accustomed. I've grown accustomed to the programs waiting 
for me in cozy baskets. They're always in baskets. They're just waiting to be plucked. You pluck them is what you do. But that tradition was broken with the Devil Wears Prada. At first I was confused. I thought maybe they don't have programs. And then the house opened and as we were seated, we were handed programs. We were not allowed to pluck the programs out of the baskets for ourselves. No, no, no. We were handed the programs one by one. My question is, who spoiled this for everyone else? What fucking happened? Who should I blame for the removal of the baskets? Someone took advantage of the baskets. Someone took too many programs, I think. Someone was fucking with the system. You fucked it up for everyone. I don't like you. Bring back the baskets. The poster design has been, I am very happy to say, significantly altered. It's been pared down, but I wouldn't describe those changes as improvements necessarily. I don't know if I want to go that far and give that much credit. We have simply removed the clutter to put a greater emphasis on the logo, which is itself horribly bland. We've gone from busy to boring, and I don't see that as an upward trajectory. Let's go upward. No lateral moves. No. My solution. Here we go. Adapt the scrim that descends at the end of Act 1 into the show's poster. Use that art. That piece, which I have to assume can be attributed to scenic designers Jones and Banakis. I looked for a credit, a specific art credit in the program. I did not find it. And that, okay, so that piece is startling. It's awesome. It took my breath away, frankly. It has an intensely eerie personality. It's like a rock and roll album from the 70s. What with the disembodied skulls and the genuflecting skeletons and the flames and the stilettos. My god! If this were the key art, it would put a much-needed stamp of intent on a production that needs some help in the standing out department. Key observation. Okay, this is the biggest observation. The program does not provide a breakdown of the musical numbers. So if I make a mistake when citing the titles of these songs, I refuse to feel a whit of guilt or shame. I don't have a reference. Give me a reference. I want to know what the songs are called. Come on, what is that? Confidential information? Huh? I don't have much to say when it comes to the audience. Everyone was generally well behaved. I did find it funny how as we were getting ready for the show to start, everybody was trying to find their seats and in classic, in classic form and fashion, no one knew how to actually find their seats. And one person in particular seemed completely thrown off by this whole system to the point of deep cynicism and indignation. This line was delivered with the utmost cynicism and indignation. This is what I heard this person say. Our seats don't exist. They don't exist. Do you see them? I don't see them. Our seats don't exist. What a statement. What a statement to make. You are... <laughs> you have been looking for maybe what? One minute or less, and you have decided that the seats you've been sold by this major theater venue do not exist. What do you think is happening? Do you think the, the wool has been pulled over your eyes? Do you think a sham is taking place? Ah, they oversold the flight. <laughs> I know what this is. I've been oversold on an airplane before. I think that's what's happening here. Shocking, to my shocking surprise, they found their seats less than 15 seconds later. Because if you just 
know where to go, and here's the thing, they tell you where to go. Half the time I think these people just go off on their own and they think that they can forge some new path. We'll find it on our own. We don't need the directions that I didn't listen to. I don't need to listen to the person I didn't listen to in the first place. I'll find them myself. And then they get really mad because they can't find the seats because they're fools. So let's see, I've talked about the program, I've talked about the audience, I suppose I should give you some uh, kind of fast and loose plot summary. That's how I tend to do things here on the Broadway in Chicago series. The show is about a young college graduate named Andy. Andy wants to be a writer. She wants to change the world with her writing, but she can't find a job. It's something like six months out from her college graduation. She's in New York City, and she cannot find a job to save her life. But then her cover letter is picked up. It's plucked up by the HR rep at Runway Magazine. Ah, yes. Here, here's the thing. Andy wants a job. She wants to work, but she doesn't know anything about fashion. She doesn't really care about fashion, and she doesn't read Runway Magazine, which is overseen by, oh, watch out, it's Miranda Priestley, baby. She knows everything about fashion. She knows everyone, and she's a real meanie. She's a real witch. Don't you cross her. Don't you ask her questions. Don't you look her in the eye. And Andy has a real hard time working for Miranda at first. She's complaining about it. Oh, my God, why doesn't she give me more credit? But then Miranda's, I, I forget what he is. I think he's maybe the creative director. His name is Nigel. He's very gay. And he yells at Andy. He says, Andy, huh? No one is going to give you a gold star just because you're doing the bare minimum. You don't actually care about this. You reek of not caring, and nobody likes it. Everybody can sense that you're looking down your nose at us. What we do here is create art. And so Andy is inspired to yeah, really uh, pull herself up by her stilettos. Ah, that's a fun little riff I just did. And she starts to care, and she gets really invested. And her friends and her boyfriend, her boyfriend is this cook named Nate, he gets really upset because all of her time is dedicated to Runway, and their roommates, their best pals, Lauren and Kayla, are similarly flummoxed. Who is this Andy? Andy cares about fashion. She's obsessed with her work. When is she writing? When is she writing? They're very judgmental. <laughs> And Andy ultimately decides that she doesn't want to work with Miranda, if I could just rock it right to the end of the show. She decides that she can't, she can't betray her principles. She can't throw people under the bus like Miranda does. Miranda's a shark, and Andy doesn't want to be a shark. She's gonna find her own path. And she breaks up with her boyfriend, and she stays pals with her pals, and that's basically it. <laughs> It's not much. There's not much going on overall. But it's it's more than a fine foundation for a musical. So let's talk about the musical as a musical from that perspective. The opening runway slash dance sequence at the top of the show. This is the very first thing that we begin with. It is steeped in 3 a.m. catacomb club vibes. Very deeply furious from Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. That is what came to mind for me at least. But this sequence ends too abruptly so that we may transition into Andy's I want number. It's a hard, hard left turn. There is really no stitching that connects the two. It's way too abrupt. Said I want number, which I'm pretty sure is called I mean business, is goofy stock stuff. And I do mean stuff in the dismissive the devil wears Prada sense of the word. We've got Andy. She's on the streets of New York City and she's oh, she's bumping her shoulders is what she's doing. She's going, uh, uh, I'm bumping my shoulders and she's singing, huh? 
mean business. And the ensemble, they're made up to look like everyday New Yorkers, you know, just walking the streets. They're doing their shoulder bumps. And they actually have the ensemble say, she means business. So Andy's going, I mean business. And the company goes, she means business. Why are you talking to us? She means business. You know, I, I know this is goofy musical theater stuff, but I kind of feel like we moved beyond that. I don't know. This isn't Good Morning Baltimore. I would buy that in Hairspray. I'm not really buying it here when the ensemble is saying, in New York City, uh-uh, uh, she means business. It's, it's really corny. We eventually get more of the aforementioned satanic couture, but the high drama of it all does not accurately reflect the stakes of the story. Because to be quite honest, I never viewed Miranda as the devil, and I never thought Andy was selling her soul by working for Miranda. That seemed very hyperbolic. So the Omen-esque choir that we get at certain moments, this ah, ah, and the general histrionics, the devilish lighting and such, all of that rang is unintentionally silly. That kind of arched tone works much better in a show like Mean Girls, where we can derive humor from knowing that the teen drama is not actually a prelude to the end of the world. We can rest easy in knowing that. We can have fun by knowing that, right? This show buys into its own hype, which is a mistake. The sight of a brooding Miranda at the top of a great flight of blood-red stairs Oh, that calls to mind shows like Carrie the Musical and Dance of the Vampires, and I just don't think that's what we want. A good deal of James Alsop's choreography seems born out of the idea that we need to have choreography for the sake of it. This is a musical, and so we must always be dancing, even if the moment and the context doesn't really call for it. We're also getting a lot of super general, simple steps, which I did not expect. This is a show for movers rather than dancers, and I think we're going to have to up the ante for Broadway. Lauren Bacall and her Broadway vehicles, including shows like Applause and Woman of the Year, frequently came to mind during Miranda's material. Those songs do not require power vocals, but rather precise comedic timing and articulation we're sort of doing a Rex Harrison talk-sing style. I could see someone like Patti Lapone skating, just skating their way through this part. And hey, this show is going to need someone like Patti Lapone on Broadway. Beth Level is, I hate to say it, she is not going to cut it. Come to think of it, the poster could, and probably should, be an image of that star. Remember Jane Lynch and her poster for Annie? Huh? Something like that, but you know... Better. Throughout Act 1, the score often feels like a series of musical compliments to the book scenes rather than fully baked musical numbers, with a capital N, numbers. Dress Your Way Up, as performed by Javier Munez in the role of Nigel, is the only Act 1 sequence that is truly in line with Elton's style, and it wound up receiving the biggest pop, the biggest burst of applause from the crowd. It would feel right at home within Kinky Boots, that's another thought that came to mind. Nigel's second Act number, is downright lovely and solidifies Munez as a standout. Something needs to be done about Nevin Steinberg's sound design during the title number, The Devil Wears Prada, which closes Act 1. The mix during that number is all off. With the orchestra drowning out most of the lyrics, I had no idea what anyone was saying. All I could hear was wanna and gotta and nada rhyming with Prada. 
<laughs> what rhymes with Prada? Wanna, gotta, nada? Uh, while we're on the subject, Shayna Tobbs' lyrics are strictly transactional. They pass emotion and intent along without ever lending those perspectives any true poetry, any color. Passion should not be delivered as if it were printed on a fax sheet, and that's sort of what we're getting here. In Act 1, the show wants us to empathize with Andy's boyfriend, Nate, and her best pals, but they read as immature and selfish, just like they do in the film. An actual lyric, if I'm remembering correctly, quote, I never thought I'd see you doing what you're doing now. Quote, what is Andy doing exactly that is so horrifying to these people? She stepped out of a movie for a minute to write an email. She'll come back to the movie, fellas. She is working a job. An out-of-whack work-life balance is not, in and of itself, a disgusting betrayal of principle. If they were worried about Andy, that would be one thing, I suppose. But anger? Anger? That's unfounded. Thankfully, in Act 2, these conflicts are lent more shading as everyone comes to realize and accept that Andy is a decent human being, and her decisions are not inherently good or bad. They are simply the decisions of someone who is trying their best. She just graduated from college. You kind of have to grasp at straws in order to figure out what feels right. There's going to be a certain amount of flailing. Let your friend flail. One of Andy's friends, Lauren, has big Tig Notaro energy. That's clearly who they're going for. And I could have used more of her. You know what? Dump the voice. Boyfriend, get rid of Nate and spend more time developing the pals, Lauren and Kayla. That's what I say. Their number in the dive bar, ooh, that is a flop. And it's obviously scared as hell of turning into a ripoff of La Vie Boheme. So let's find another way for these two to shine. I would suggest a fun fashion show for bedraggled New York 20-somethings. You know, a goofy comedic sequence set in their apartment where they're putting on a faux fashion gala. I think that could be fun and funny, but it also feels like a riff on that one sketch from a black lady sketch show, and I don't want anyone accused of plagiarism, so ignore that idea. Find another idea. Taylor Amon Jones is absolutely vibrating with charm in the role of Andy, and I simply could not relate to anyone who locked horns with her interpretation of Andy. Andy is good. Leave Andy alone. That said, Andy's boyfriend does give her a stuffed bear in the dive bar scene, and she leaves the bear on the pool table, which is whisked off stage. Where's the bear going, Andy? That little bear belongs to you, Andy. Little bear! Act 2 is much more confident from a musical perspective. Every number has a crisp beginning and conclusion, clearly drawn lines as opposed to slightly frayed edges. Unfortunately, Miranda never gets a truly great solo, and that is a void we need to fill Pronto. The Miranda compositions merely hover off the ground like a light speeder, Star Wars, when you want them and the character to take off like a rocket. Star Wars. Give the performer more of a challenge, more of a showcase. Ah, yes, I want to say this. Jones and Banakis' scene design is a low-key winner. There's a quiet confidence on display here. Very enjoyable to take all of that in. The steel girders of New York City, there are these big girders, these subway track girders. They start to lean in in Act 2, they turn into, ah, the base of the Eiffel Tower. They were vertical, now they're at an angle. They look like the Eiffel Tower. And you know I fucking love a spinning set. And this set spins. All sets should spin. Spin me right round, baby. I have two quotes from the crowd that I want to share with you. This I heard during the intermission. I overheard this person say, 
<laughs> this is a really weird show. I mean, I've never seen the movie, so I guess I must be missing something. Uh, let me just say this to you, individual. You are not missing out on anything. You do not have any <laughs> crucial information being being deprived. No, no, no. You're not being deprived of anything. And I hate to tell you this, but this is not experimental theater. And I'm not sure how your expectations are being inverted or bucked. I don't know what you thought was going to be on the menu. It's like you went to a restaurant expecting American food. And you sat down and you realized, that's oh, Chinese food. I've never had Chinese food. This food's weird. You're weird. <laughs> You're weird and you're kind of a dope. You know what actually sounds like a weird show? That immersive one-hour production of Next to Normal, where we're inside the main character's brain. That's what's weird. You can process the Devil Wears Prada, I assure you. And then the woman to my right, this is the second quote I have for you, she said, loved it, perfect. She said it right at the top of intermission, she said it right as the show was ending, loved it, perfect. Really? I, I have to ask because you did not clap once. Not even during the curtain call. You never clapped. But what do I know? Maybe she was doing cartwheels internally. Maybe she really did love every second of it. I sort of consider applause to be the bare minimum when it comes to the theater etiquette social contract that we all sign by stepping into the theater, but I don't want to be an asshole about it. I genuinely don't. I, I can be very dismissive of the people around me, but people communicate their enthusiasm in different ways, I suppose. I just have to accept that. The time has come to rate The Devil Wears Prada. Here is a reminder regarding our rating system. If I were to give a show a BIC rating, BIC, that means the production is a classic. It's near perfect, if not completely perfect. If I were to give a show a BI rating, that means it's good. It's perfectly good. If I gave it a B, just a B, that means the show is middling, mediocre. It's meh, 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 meh. And if I gave no letters at all, no B, no I, no C, that means the show is awful. I hated it. What am I going to give Prada? I'm going to give Prada a B and an I, and I'm going to stop right there. It's a BI rating. Prada does not need to undergo some uh, mythical radical transformation mythical <laughs> i threw that word in there for you it does not need to undergo some radical transformation before opening on broadway uh, but the score could certainly use more of elton's undiluted raw razzle dazzle and we definitely need a home run 11 o'clock number for miranda we don't have that we have to have that i cannot emphasize that enough but even if we don't shore up the score i'm sure people will likely enjoy the show as is simply because they have a fondness for the movie and the novel on which it is based. My audience seemed perfectly pleased as punch, pa 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 pa. And hey, what more could you want? It was a packed house. And credit where it's due, I forgot to say this, Kate Weatherhead's book irons out a lot of the movie's wrinkles while siphoning off its excess baggage, and that is no small feat. That is the last observation I have for you regarding the devil. Where's Prada? The devil. Where's Prada? And hey, you might be wondering, when is that Jesus Christ Superstar episode dropping? Maybe you knew at one point and you forgot. Well, I'm here to tell you, you just have to wait a week because that episode is going to drop on Wednesday, August 3rd of this very year. We're going to be talking about our Lord and Savior. And I'm going to take a few minutes, a few moments in that episode to spread the good word. I want to spread a Christian message via this podcast. Can you imagine if I was that person? Now that's a bamboo. That's a fucking trick. This whole time it was a setup so that I could prothelatize to you. Prothelatize is what I want to do. No, I'm not going to do that. We're just going to talk about the show. All right, you never have to worry about that ever, ever, 
ever, okay? <laughs> I'm glad I made that clear. We will see you on August 3rd for Jesus Christ Superstar. Thank you so much for donating $5 a month. And hey, may I say this as well? Thank you to Patty and Benny. I have not been talking about them during these Patreon recording sessions very much. I guess I'm used to checking in with them at the top of main feed episodes. But let me just tell you, they have been here this whole time. And I am so grateful. As you know, I, I held in my sneezes recently and I hurt my throat. I feel like my voice has been dropping off the face of the earth after about three minutes into this session. But Patty and Benny have done everything that they can to make sure that these episodes sound fantastic, and I, I am forever grateful to them. They are two amazing companions. They're my companions, my best pals. They're my Kayla and Lauren. They're looking at me. <laughs> they are just staring right at me, staring daggers as if I'm the devil wearing Prada. Bye-bye. I'll see you on August 3rd. Bye-bye. Love ya. Bye-bye.